0: We are talking with leaders and uh, people, professors from diagnostician programs from around Texas, just to learn a little bit more about the programs. Maybe you used to be a student of one of these great people on, on the stage here, or um, maybe you um, just want to know. Maybe you have an intern, uh, want to know more about the program. The programs, you know, always changing, so we always want to. Um, you know, keep up with what's going on in our field, and these are great people to talk to about that. So just in case you don't know um, some people up here, I mean, who doesn't know Dr. Schultz? (laughs) Dr. Schultz is uh, currently a full professor at the West College of Education at Midwestern State University. Uh, He is the author or co-author of Core Selective Evaluation Process, CSEP and has written numerous peer-reviewed articles presented at the national and international level and has provided trainings across the country to schools and state departments and education. Uh, His interests include SLD identification, dyslexia, MTSS, and students with EBD. So welcome, Dr. Schultz. Hello. Yes. You hear everything okay? I'm fine. All right. Very good. Dr. Cavan is a recently retired associate professor from Tarleton State University, where she coordinated the Educational Diagnostician Certification Program for 11 years. Prior to going to Tarleton, Dr. Cavan uh, had served as the Director of Special Education in the Houston ulysses Bedford ISD, and was an evaluation specialist at the Education Service Center at Region 11 as well, where she was, uh, she also coordinated a program for diagnostician certification. She is an adjunct professor, uh, instructor at Texas Women's University, uh, Texas Christian University, and the University of North Texas, and has served as the governmental relations chair for the Texas Council for Exceptional Children for 16 years and has presented widely at the state and national conferences. Dr. Cavan has spent forty-two years in the field of special education as a teacher, educational diagnostician, administrator, professor, and consultant. So, welcome, Dr. Cavan.
1: Thank you. <laughs> sure.
0: And Dr. Ruder uh, is an associate professor of special education and serves as the program coordinator of the Master of Education in Special Education at the University of Texas at Tyler. She has 30 years plus of experience and as a special education teacher, an educational diagnostician, and a university professor. Her research interests include best practices of assessment of students with disabilities and translating assessment results into evidence-based instructional practices. Dr. Reuter is a former past president of the Council for Exceptional Diagnostic Services, said and the former past president of the Texas Council for Exceptional Children, which is TCEC, and an active member of the CEC, the TED, and the SSEPC. There's a lot more organizations that I knew. I'm um, to follow all the organizations, but welcome. You <laughs> can un- un- unmute in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen. There's a microphone. go. Yep. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Sure. And Becky Robinson is uh, is currently working at the Region 10 as a field supervisor and facilitator for the Educational Diagnostician Certification Program. She has been a lead diagnostician, a public school educational diagnostician for more than 30 years, a special education teacher from pre-K to 12, and a general education elementary teacher for second grade. So welcome, Becky.
2: Hi, thank you. Sure.
0: So we are going to get started. Just, I just thought everybody could go around and tell you know programs differ by sort of the number of students that are enrolled every year. Um, So the size, uh, whether you're completely online or you have somewhat in person, um, those sort of things. So I just thought you'd you'd go around and and I know you know whether you're just a just a a, you know, only a certification program, you have a master's degree program. So I just thought you'd go around and um, just in order of how you appear on the screen, um, if just in case it's a different order for everyone, you can swipe down to refresh, and then everybody will have the same order. So at the top of the screen, you just hold it down and swipe down and it refreshes. So, um, so Dr. Schultz, you want to tell us a little bit about your uh, the program at MSU?
3: uh yeah i'll try to be brief uh one thing we all have in common is we all have to follow what tea says so that's kind of our our framework we follow exactly what you know the uh uh you know we have to teach all the standards and we know that the new exam uh has the the texas certification exam changed about three years ago so we have to keep up with those changes but i don't anticipate it changing much more we are online Uh, we wouldn't be able to survive if we weren't online. Uh, We saturated Wichita Falls all, you know, years ago, but uh, we do, uh, used to do, before COVID, we did Saturday seminars uh, once a month, which were, we would say they're, you know, since the classes are coded online, we can't force people to come, but we we, uh, made them optional, but encouraged, and we'd get about 90% 90% of our students come up once a month on a Saturday to do some hands-on kind of stuff. We're going to reintroduce that, uh, the next cohort that we have go through in the summer. Uh, but we have a full master's. We have a, a, a certification only uh, with a deficiency plan. And then we have a master's uh, in, uh, uh, with an emphasis in dyslexia, or you can get a dyslexia die cert at MSU. Mm. So that's us in a nutshell.
0: All right, all right. Everybody on the stage of um, somebody speaking, then everybody else try and mute in the bottom right hand corner. There's a microphone. That way we we'll won't get some feedback. All right. So Lisa, you want to just tell us a little bit about Tarleton State?
1: Sure. Um, I'll, first, I'll give a little disclaimer that uh, I did retire in August, at the end of August, but um, I have not been replaced yet completely. So. Uh, there's adjuncts that are handling my, um, what I left behind. I guess that just means I'm so good they can't find a replacement. But uh, I think they do have a, a um, uh, they're working on um, on that right now. I think they've got a pretty good candidate in line. Uh, hopefully they'll have a replacement um, permanent by, by the fall. But uh, they do have uh, Dr. Diane Taylor, who um, has been a, a practicing diagnostician and uh, former special ed director teaching the testing classes right now uh, with a lot of input from me, and so um, I think that things are under control right now, but um, hopefully it'll be in good hands uh, with a replacement by fall. But in the meantime, um, I'll give you uh, some some feedback um, as things were uh, under my uh, control, and I think that all of this is still in place, according to my conversation yesterday with Dr. Taylor. Um <clears throat> The program is, um, is a hybrid program, uh, very much like what Dr. Um, uh, Schultz just described, except that our once a month Saturday seminars are required. Um, they, just, they just happen um, during the two testing classes. Uh, the, the fall testing class is the uh, cognitive class and the spring testing class is um, the achievement testing class. And those two classes do have a Saturday component. Everything else in the program is online, but uh, those do have a um, a once a month uh, Saturday, uh, we call it a lab uh, requirement where students uh, do have to come to campus. Um, I know that the powers that be um, in the dean's office on campus would like to do away with that requirement and make the program completely online. I I really lobbied to keep um, some online com- uh, some face to face component because I I have felt like that was really valuable and the students seem to to really value that. Um, mm-hmm. But but um, that may that may go by the wayside now that I'm not there to push for it. Um, I think that, you know, economics are, are pushing for um, that online component, which most of the programs, I, I think all of the ones that, that are represented right here on, uh, today, maybe not the Region 10 program, we'll hear about that in a minute. Um, but um, I think there's a, you know, there's still some value in having some of that hands-on, and that's what I, I really felt like was important. And I had students that were coming from, from all over um, a, a pretty wide-ranging um. Uh, Area from the the metroplex um, all the way out west toward Abilene toward down toward the Austin area uh, and around who would come into um, to Stephenville once a month uh, to get that hands-on uh, experience and so um, I I really pushed for that like I say I don't know if that will continue I have a, a fear that it uh, it'll it'll um, disappear in the next couple of years um, we did have a um, we do have a a master's and a certification uh, either or that you can um, go with. You can get the 33-hour master's or a certification only that you can add on uh, to an existing master's.
0: great. And uh, Becky, you wanna just tell us a little bit about Region 10's program?
2: Sure, so obviously Region 10 is a certification only program. So it is for educators who already have their master's degree and are looking for certification for a diagnostician and Jill Kirby our program director is on with us so if she wants to pop in at any time please feel free to speak up um, but our program is completely online this I have been part of this since last year um, when I retired from the public school system uh, the year before um, I came on with region 10 and is serving as a field supervisor and facilitator and the way our program works is really are it's a two-year program. The first year is all of the main base of the coursework and then um, the second year is typically either the internship or practicum and we meet approximately once a week on average. Um, We have two cohorts, cohort A and cohort B and they meet on different nights. And so we meet in a large group online setting, and then we break up into small groups with individual facilitators, um, following the large group class where we can be a little bit more specific and more individual and answer a lot of the questions. And then we also have times where we meet individually um, with our, our members and our facilitator group. So we do, try to provide a lot of individual support as needed and then of course there are those occasional times where we need to meet with someone in person so sometimes that happens if a student has a need for a more for some more individualized support um, but it works out over that two-year program where we're we're meeting all of those needs.
0: thank you becky dr reuter you want to go ahead and share
4: hi everyone um i'm at the university of texas at tyler and in 2012 dr dykes frank dykes and i co-created and transitioned the then existing face-to-face program because we had like four students in it to uh online And we are an asynchronous online program, 36 hours. And uh, the students are in cohorts, and they progress through a a very specific sequence of courses uh, with the same members of their cohort for two years. And um, we are a Masters of Education with certification only we don't offer certification only we had uh difficulty with our certification only students passing the exam and we just thought it wasn't worth it to us for certification only and then we weren't getting uh, credit as finishers for cert only so we decided we there were other places that they could go to and we put all our eggs in that basket but um Starting this summer, we're going to offer another track to our special ed, and we're gonna offer behavior specialists. Um, although TEA doesn't certify uh, behavior specialists, we're gonna, UT Tyler's going to offer a university behavior specialist certification, and that will be a 36-hour program, too. Um, we do require our students to attend uh, two to four Zoom conferences a semester, and uh, then we also offer uh, uh, Zoom tutoring sessions for uh, additional uh, concepts that they may need help with in virtual office hours. So that's kind of our kind of uh, our program.
0: Great, thanks for sharing. I'm going to take a second to check the chat. Uh, we got a lot of messages from people. Um, uh, Amy Seasbury says hi back. Amy Smith saying she likes my song. <laughs> uh, thank you, Amy. Um, Megan Gormley, Gormley saying hi, Dr. Schultz. And uh, Darren Crowell saying hi from uh, from Chile. I guess you got somebody in, from Chile. <laughs> uh, and then we got Mary Ellen Hartman, Rowdy. Uh, howdy from Region 10. Howdy, Region 10, friends. And then, um, and let's see. Yeah. And, and Jill is also saying, good to see everyone as well. So, um, you anyway, know, I, I sort of started a little bit of conversations with some people uh, before I had this, you know, what are some good questions to ask? And I think one of the biggest concerns is Um, for both the teachers and the students in the program is that the program adequately prepares the diagnostician to be confident in their positions. I think everybody goes, you know, through the program and then they get, they feel like they're, they're thrown to the lions. (laughs) This is sink or swim, you know, um, depending on what, you know, on for some programs and, you know, and, and other people feel a lot more prepared. So, um, what, do you, what do you feel like your program does to ensure that the students are well prepared and goes beyond sort of just um, topics of special education, but topics specifically for the diagnostician?
3: Uh, I guess, are we going around? Yep, yeah, you're, you're first. Go okay, ahead. well, I, I, let me say this first of all. The only thing that we can do at our university is, is help uh, diagnostician develop confidence. They're going to gain mm-hmm. their confidence uh, with experience. And so I always tell my groups too, we're going to give you entry level skills, but you got to just, to become a competent Diag, you have to just keep growing and growing and growing and growing and going to everything that you can go to. Mm-hmm. What we do, uh, what, uh, uh, you know, we're accredited just like everybody else in here. We're also CAPE accredited. We've got a lot of accreditation agencies on our, our back if you're in higher ed, but, we just have to up our, we just up our rigor. I mean, we have a, a pretty brutal program, uh, as far as people going through it. And I've got uh, some people on here that can attest to that on here and people sometimes will just quit when they see the syllabus uh, and they'll just weed themselves out. But if people kind of make it through, uh, I'm pretty confident they're going to do well. We do have a, we do have a high rate of success on our tests. We got a hundred percent passing on the new, on the new exam. We were batting about 98% on the old <laughs> exam. Uh, but I think one of the, the bigger issues right now is why people are saying that DIGs aren't as prepared as they are is because of what's happening in the field with this tsunami of referrals. Mm-hmm. And back, back a few years ago, our uh, programs would send somebody out with entry level skills, but there'd be some induction and there would be uh, good mentors, but it's hard to have a, a, a mentor when they're sitting next to you drowning as well, because we're putting them out so quick. Uh, uh, th- that, uh, there's just not enough, uh, 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 induction, uh, resources. And actually, uh, Amy and, and Robin Hudson and I are gonna, that's gonna be our topic of our tea case presentation, but the service centers now have had to, and we got some really good service center folks in here. Amy's in here too, the other Amy, where, uh we've kind of all got to work together. We got to have the, the prep programs intertwined with the service centers intertwined with the districts to really build a good diagnostician or else it'll be like, like we do with all cert teachers, they get out there and uh, they don't, they're not successful. They leave and we'll just send another warm body there. So uh, I guess, uh, just rigor is how we ensure confidence because when people do go through the, the, you know, when you go through a rigorous program and you get out on the other side, you do feel like, hey, I, I did something. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that my colleagues that are on here have, are pretty, I, I know, there's there, I've worked with their students out in the field, and they're pretty rigorous, too. But anyway, that's it for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be writing a report a week for a, a, a university program, when the real world is trying to yeah. do reports a week, you got to get used to that rigor in the, in the you know, real world. Go ahead, Dr. Cavan.
1: Well, I couldn't agree more uh, with Ed than, than, than I do. I mean, it just, everything he says, I echo. Some things that, um, that I, well, I, I think what he said about um, there's not enough support uh, in the field once new diags enter is completely true. And I think that's because of the workload that exists right now. Mentors are spread so thin that that they they can't mentor effectively and so I think that's why we have the attrition rate that we do because people get out there and it's more than they bargain for they don't get the support in the first um the first year or so um but some things that I tried to do um and I'll I'll brag a little bit too um I had a hundred percent pass rate um myself since Mm -hmm. the um since the new test came out Um, and um, I don't think that was by accident I think like Ed worked we worked really hard at Tarleton to um, to make sure that students were prepared for the test but I think being prepared for the test doesn't necessarily make you prepared for the job I think it's bigger than that the job is bigger than the test Um, the test is is you know um, head knowledge and you've got to have more than head knowledge to be successful in the job um so I tried to prepare my students with a lot we did a lot of blind reviews. You know, I would um, give them test data and then let them try to work those things out on those Saturdays that we were together, uh, and then talk about them, talk about scores. And then we would do a lot of um, the things that you see on the um, on the Facebook page that the diagnosticians have uh, ah, here in the state, you know <laughs> um, I mean, Hopefully, with 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 a little bit more. Well, I hate to say this. um, Sometimes you get some some kind of crack answers on that, and so I would try to give, I would I would pose some of those kinds of questions, and then give what I would hope would be some sound answers, and show students how to get the right answers. Direct them to the legal framework. Okay, here's a here's a question you, you might get in the real world. And then let's find the answer. You know, let's let's navigate the way to the correct answer through the legal framework, and and problem solve that ourselves, and not just you know you know what might um, any old colleague say to that as the right answer, but what is the right answer actually according to according to the law? Um, teach them how to network with with people that. Um, that do know how to get to the right answer and not just those kind of, you know, fly by night answers that, um, that people might give you. So, um, blind reviews, um, networking with, with sound people, um, real life examples with, um, with how to get to good solutions. And then, um, I think just, Lobbying with districts to to provide um, good mentorship. I don't know how we do that more effectively. Um, I've been on the other end of it as a as a director, and uh, you can't you, you can't provide more personnel when you don't have the money for it. Um, so you know, it's it's getting creative with the resources that you have on the on the district end, and that's a challenge. All right,
0: Becky, you want to share um, how? how your district um, makes people prepared and uh, sort of what you teach specifically for related to being a diagnostician rather than special ed in general.
2: Sure and I did forget to mention earlier we um, we do uh, typically have about 150 to 200 students in our program each year and that's you know like the incoming um, group so from first to second year. Um, so, so we do have quite a, quite a big pool of new diagnosticians that we are training through Region Ten. Um, but yeah, so we are uh, totally everything that Dr. Schultz said. Completely agree with. It's very important to have that high rigor and those high expectations. You know, because it is such a hard job. It is such an all encompassing job, and there's such a huge learning curve in going from an educator to diagnostician you have to know so much so really you know i try to encourage everyone that is in our program if they don't have a sped background because we do have a lot of general ed teachers who go from general ed to diagnostician and who do very well. Um, Our passing rate last year was at 100%, so I feel like we're doing a good job doing test preparation. But again, we have to prepare them for the real world to step into that role as a diagnostician. And so it comes into making sure that they understand evaluation, that they understand how to just be able to pick up a test battery and be able to administer that and maybe it's one that they haven't had formal training on so they have to be able to understand test and evaluation and be able to read the manuals and really dig into those manuals and utilize all of that data that's in that's so rich in the manuals um, that they have to understand and know so we do train on all of the major test batteries they have to give multiple of the um you know um, cognitive pieces as well along with the whisk and the wyatt and the ktea the kbc and then we also do some training on the gort and the ctop and um, so so we have all of the major test batteries that that we utilize and then we really work hard on Teaching them how to interpret all of that data um, and taking, uh, you know, all of the data that they're looking at and how to pull all of those pieces into a written report that makes sense, but that also isn't so technically, has so much technical jargon that it doesn't make sense to the parents. We really want to them to use, um, you know, parent friendly and teacher friendly language in our reports, but that it also really Uh, relays into what are we going to do with the student now that we've done the evaluation how are we going to you know serve this kid either through special education or if they don't meet qualifications and what does general education need to do to help support the kid so we really do work on all of those pieces Um, I do think we've really um, this last year we are really working really hard to make really practical applications of that we've really upped our report writing game and are really you know have are making that more realistic and what a person would come into that first year and what they would have to do in that school setting and you know and then of course being a you know a texas-based program with a lot of people and being having the cohorts And in those smaller group settings, we do really encourage all that networking, because I do think it's so important that you have your, you know, it it takes a village to raise a diagnostician. And so I do think it's really important that we have that whole team of people that really helps support each other in one another, because when you get out into the real world as a diagnostician, you need those phone of friends. You need the people that you can call to help support you, um, especially depending on what district you're in. I and mean, Hopefully, the districts are providing enough support with the mentoring, and we have some great districts who do. But we also have, you know, smaller districts or d- districts that are a little um shorter staff. So it's a little bit harder for the mentoring to be as robust as it should be. So we want everyone to have that uh that network of people that they can reach out to you that can help support them as well, versus being on Facebook. I mean, Facebook is great and we love Facebook but you know that's not always the best place to get our um, information and to solve problems when you have a student you need to look at that's probably not the place we need to be um figuring out whether or not a kid qualifies over a you know a four sentence (laughs) information that we put on our facebook page so we do want to refrain from that if at all possible Um, so and dr Reuter,
4: you want to share Yeah, so at UT Tyler, when Frank and I co-created the program, we uh, sat down and we did a vertical and horizontal alignment of the, not only the ESBEC standards, the um, Council for Educational Diagnostic Standards too, the SEDS, and then when SEDS recently updated their standards in 2020, um, we did a whole nother realignment and we sequenced our courses where students progressed through that series of courses, and we scaffold the skills from course to course. So they end uh, the, the, the sequence of courses, the assessment courses, with the most challenging uh, IQ assessment out there. Right now in our program is the WISC. And each assessment course, they have to administer um, and video record it and then we use athena which is online uh where they have to purchase a a license to athena and they upload their videos they get uh real-time feedback on the videos frank and i spent hours multiple hundreds and hundreds of hours in the video recording studio modeling Um, assessments and, you know, talking about basals and ceilings and doing all of that. So uh, that's how we we did it. And then we have uh, scoring rubrics and video uh, administration rubrics where we score each test administration um, and their protocols to make sure that they've scored it correctly. You know, they've set up all the testing environment. um exactly and on their fourth test administration they get they must obtain a 90 percent or higher in order to progress to the next um the next course if they do not they still can continue in the program they're just on an academic remediation plan and they have to meet certain requirements that following semester the other thing that we do is um i am a big proponent of report writing so we run them through every assessment class simulated special ed referrals where they have to uh test a client they have to get do all the teacher observate or classroom observations they have to interview the teacher they have to pull all the uh curriculum based measurements go through the uh pull all the attendance you know all that cumulative record stuff and they have to write a full-blown report um, so that's, uh, they do that in every assessment class. And then, uh, when they get to the end of their program and they're, we're walking them through the eligibility and how to make those decisions, uh, cause Frank and I also do a lot of contracts work. We have a lot of case studies we draw upon and I've drawn, I have, uh, modeled four case studies in that seminar course and i have them walk through um, the eligibility decisions and i don't tell them i post the case study without the eligibility and the summary they have to write the summary and eligibility then the next the following week i do a think aloud video Uh, Describing how I made the decisions and then I reveal the eligibility. So um, that that's kind of what we've done. Um, We really just draw upon um, our field practice um, in our in in what we do each week in the in the field. Because Frank and I do a lot of assessment work in the field. So that's kind of what we do and we bring that back to the classroom.
0: So in terms of support, I you know I've had this idea for a while now, and you know you, all of y'all are welcome to use Clubhouse. It's it's the only social media platform that provides just you know live discussion, and uh, you could use it to augment your lessons. You know um, maybe there's they, now it has a type of asynchronous chat as well, so it's kind of like a voicemail. So you could put like a, a picture or a link. Um, maybe for an uh, article that you're reading, and everybody can go in and answer a question or leave a comment at their own, at the at the time that they want to. Um, or these are, you know, live active rooms. Um, you know, and then things can be recorded for replay later. So there's all kinds of ways, uh, I think. And, you know, you can ping people in. So, you know, you call a friend. It's really easy on here um, to ping people in and if, if they're, uh, got some notifications on their phone and if you're friends with each other. And I was really hoping that people could start, uh, you know, being, being friends with each other on here. In other words, like formally asked to be a friend on, on, it used to be followers and I used to like that better, but now it's, so it's kind of funny. Like we be my friend, but, um. But yeah, friend, whoever, and um, make little support groups among you, your, each other because you know one of the things I like Dr. Schultz does and um, is you know he you don't just see him in the university program or you know Dr. Kevin, you see them out like teaching and keeping in touch with you and providing you know continuing education um, so you don't feel like that support ever goes away and it, you know we by networking and going to social media. Uh, not to social media, but to networking and going to conferences and meeting people in person and and things like that. Um, I think that's a really good way to just build a, a support system for yourself and and find mentors for yourself and um, and yeah, I thought maybe clubhouse could be you know a way to do it. i you, I don't have to start rooms. other people can start rooms. Um, if you have, if you're in the leader, I can put you in leader position, and then that makes you able to start a room. But even if you're not a leader, you can um, ping people in and uh, or create you know uh, actual chats with them, and and leave voice messages for them, and that sort of thing too. So you know I've spent a lot of time gathering people in here into this. It's been three years now gathering people into this clubhouse. So um, you know that every make it possible that everybody can stay connected with each other because i think connections are really important given that you know there have been so many changes uh, for in policy and um having had COVID happened and so many things um so in the last two years Many policy changes have happened. Dyslexia, for example, now served under special education. Everybody's trying to figure out what kind of system they're gonna use to test all the kids who were in the Dyslexia 504 programs and get them into special ed. Um, The operating guidelines for SLD changed in 2021. So how does each one of your programs ensure that the... You know, I've, I've had some interns from certain programs and they don't have the most recent information. Even test kits that they're using are like old test kits. There's a newer version out. Um, so how do you ensure that you know, we're, you're know keeping up to date and refreshing things and, and staying current and showing them how to stay current? Dr. Schultz?
3: Well, I think you just said it because I know uh, Lisa and, and uh, Jessica and I go way back. Uh, as far as being involved uh, at the state level and national level in professional organizations. I mean, staying hooked, that that used to be the only way we would get information back in the day is pre-internet is back to, with our professional organizations. They still serve a strong purpose. Uh, but uh, if anyone ever uh, has been a workshop of mine or taking classes, I'm a, I'm a huge policy person because,
4: uh,
3: you know, all the disabilities that we uh identify and and everything we do in special ed has a policy connected to it i appreciated that comment becky made about facebook we actually i start my lectures with a question that somebody asked on facebook trying to prevent my students from ever going on there and asking a question such as that or giving out (laughs) crazy advice uh crack answers like lisa said i don't know uh, yeah i don't know if people are smoking crack answering but i love that that characterization but uh, you know, one thing I'll say this about TEA, TEA, uh, since the corrective action plan, one of the benefits of that was they forced us to, to put out some good information. The child find network has some really good timely information. Uh, I don't like how they revamped the new site, but, uh, I, I, I subscribe to the TEA newsletter and, and I promise you there's a new guidance document now it's hot off the press and I'll, I'll have a, a, a little special class to go over it because it is changing. And I'm also from the, the mindset too. And, and Megan, I think, made a statement about this in the chat. She was one of my students last summer. Um, is, uh, you know, we really have to teach, you know, uh, somebody how to fish and answer questions for themselves and, and access the legal framework and be able to think, you know? I mean, we, we teach people how to, how to uh, uh, give a test but like Jessica said, we're really, we're really selling teach our thinking. We're really, you know, the think aloud is we want our people to come through our program thinking different and thinking like an educational detective. But that's how we stay current. I, it just, I think just because of uh, uh, being with the professional organizations and ha- uh, having our feet in the, I do some, uh, a lot of contracting myself. That's the best thing I've ever done for my students is, is who wants to be taught by someone who de- who, who's not out there testing, you know? Uh, have no street cred, so to speak. So anyway, that's it for me. I, I, totally, I
1: totally agree. Um, I would say that, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, in keeping up to date. Um, I was the governmental relations chair for Texas CEC for, uh, for many years. And I may, I gave a, um, an annual, uh, policy update, um, a T.E.A. update and a federal update uh, every summer at our conference, and so it was it was my job to to keep up to date, and uh, it, I enjoyed um, having the the latest and greatest information. Well, it wasn't always the greatest information, but it was always the latest information, uh, and sharing that uh, statewide. Uh, but I I was always amazed at how many people didn't know. Um, what the newest information was and, and sometimes didn't seem to carry at the local level, at the at the district level, people that just, you know, were oblivious. Um, that's something I also think is really valuable um, with our uh, ESCs. Um, something I really enjoyed working at the ESC was uh, informing districts about the, the changes that are made because changes are made every single year and sometimes more often than once a year. Um, but every year, uh, changes come out, and um, so you've you've got to stay um, up to date. So your ESC is a is a way to to keep up to date. And like Ed said, the the updates that come out through the the list serves through um, through TEA. So the special ed um, list serve that uh, TEA puts out. Um, they have a, a director listserv. They've got a uh, just a general special ed listserv and those come out on a regular basis. So um, everybody can can uh uh, uh stay um, up to date with those you know you don't have to be a, a special person to to uh um be informed by those and um i would say you know stay in touch with 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 those uh avenues of information and i'll amend what i said i don't want anybody to think that that i get my information from a uh, facebook so uh y'all don't get that misinformation there. I do applaud Ed because whenever I see a crazy question on uh, Facebook, Ed is usually uh, right in there, uh, correcting the misinformation. Um, that's one of my biggest pet peeves is to, to see, um, a question that comes out, sometimes a very, uh, well-meaning, innocent question. And then the, the craziness that comes out from people who are, are certified. And, and I'm the one who, um, who goes in and looks to see, is the person who answered that really certified? I go in and look at their TEA credentials, and sure enough, maybe they've been certified for five, 10, 15, 20 years, and um, yeah, they're a diagnostician in in XYZ uh, district, and um, I always told my students, I don't want to catch you all um, <laughs> putting crazy questions on there, so um, I think my students were scared too, afraid that Dr. Cabin was looking to see if they had um, if they had put quite crazy questions up there, but Ed's pretty quick to, uh, to set them straight if, uh, if they're putting crazy stuff up there. But um, that's where I think that maybe we do have a responsibility um, to, to know the right answer and then to, to correct misinformation when it is out there, because I'm amazed sometimes the, the misinformation that is passed along. I try not to comment too much, but if something is really blatant, I will, I will, um, butt in every now and then. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll make that my uh, retirement project to correct all, um, all um, misinformation that's on Facebook.
0: That sounds more exhausting than actually
1: running the, the (laughs) diagnostician program. (laughs) I think you're right. (laughs) All right. I'll give up the microphone now. Sure. Becky
0: has, you know, the, you have the the advantage of having Region Ten people to help the, with the program. I know, like Amy, sometimes will teach a class or, right? Don't you pull in people? From- yes,
2: we have a lot of people that support and teach with Region Ten. Amy does a great job helping and supporting, especially in the summer um, classes. And then, of course, you know, Dr. Morris is still involved. We have Dr. Finetti. Uh, Barb Kiefer, who obviously uh, was in charge of the program for years and years, so we have a lot of wonderful, and we have amazing facilitators and field supervisors. So we have a ton of people that really do a phenomenal job of supporting the program. And I'm fairly fairly new, obviously, um, but I do still contract. I'm a contract evaluator in my retirement years, you know, because as diagnosticians, we do not know how to not work um but um going back to the question to get back on track um looking at you know i feel like how we stay relevant is just as instructors and as people that are Helping out with the program it's important for us to stay on top of what's new and what is coming out and what the changes are so that we can help relay that information so i do and i tell everyone in our program you have to be a lifelong learner to really do a great job as a diagnostician you have to have a thirst for knowledge and want to always be learning and growing because again our our whole premise is based on theory and theory changes and research changes pretty quickly these days, along with all of the policies as well. So we have to stay on top of all of that. So I do think being connected and and attending trainings, I encourage all of our first year dogs to um, go see Dr. Schultz and to go see Dr. Shermie to really start going ahead and investing your time and learning about the different models of SLD since that's our most challenging area for evaluation um it seems to be most of the time so i really do encourage and i encourage them you know dr stevens has done a great job in since covid providing the beyond the score trainings which are great so i try to you know give all of the different training opportunities out to our people in our program and say hey in addition to what we're doing along with clubhouse you know here are all of these great resources through our education service centers through csep online through beyond the score through clubhouse through uh, you know TEDa through all the different other avenues that there is to gain knowledge in addition to here's some things that you can read on your own that maybe not be be part of our requirement of reading but here's some really good books that would help you know advance your knowledge because you do have to be you know in my opinion as a diagnostician you kind of have to be an expert in everything you need to know the evaluation pieces you need to know Behavior. You need to know instruction and curriculum. You need to know special education if you are facilitating arts, and you need to thoroughly understand the art process and the legal ramifications, and understand all of those components as well. So it, there is a lot of information to try to assimilate in a short period of time if we're looking at you know a two-year program um, from start to finish in in you know obtaining all of that knowledge and being at that entry level and then of course you build all of those skills through your experience and i always tell everybody you know the first three years are the hardest and that's really where you feel like you you know enough but you really understand that you don't know enough (laughs) um so you're, you're you know but by that three to five year mark you really have have it integrated and understand, but you still have to continually seek um, knowledge and continually reach out um, to develop those skills to stay on top of everything. Because policy does change so quickly, especially um, since the corrective action plan, everything has just seems to propel it at such a faster rate than it did prior to that. Um, and TEA, like Dr. Schultz said, has done a great job with the Child Find Network. Again, I'm I agree with him. I'm. I've, I was a huge fan of the previous site. The new one's a little bit harder to navigate and find things. Um, some of the webinars that they used to have on there are a little bit more challenging to find, but maybe it's just because I need to spend more time on the website looking at it. Um, but but yeah, we do try to, you know, like, when, when the new legal guidance came out on SLD identification, you know, as soon as it hit the, hit the press. You know, we were sending that out to our students and saying, hey, take a look at this. We and I reviewed that, you know, with my small group. And so we we do want to make sure that we're pre- sending that information out in a timely fashion so that they can take a look at that as well.
0: And Dr. Reuter, you actually um, have like you actually do research studies, right?
4: Yeah, I, I engage in a lot of research. I just finished co-writing a textbook that's uh, for uh, pre-service diagnosticians and pre-service teachers on assessment. And I, everyone has mentioned the highlights is like be connected with the ESCs, go to webinars, um, TEA, stay on top of TEA. I mean, it's so easy. I think it's also important to have a professional library on your own as a as a professor we read i i know i read widely from a variety of different journals out in the field but i think it's really important that students also realize the importance of of uh, understanding that it, it how important professional reading is uh in their in in their field but also in the world of special ed because assessment is is with housed within special ed and general ed so we have to know what's going on in the wider world i also think that um just being really connected to school practice whether for me the best thing i've ever done is kept my assessment skills current in uh, contract because then i know what districts are talking about and sometimes it's not even hardly out uh, from tea or widely published but the special ed directors in their meetings they've heard about it and they're talking about it to their diagnosticians had i not been on campus I would have not known it. And then I can talk to my students about it in, in classes. So I think that that's, you just have to be on a lifelong learner in this. And things change all the time in special ed. So, you know, you just have to have, um, be a student, I guess. Well, what, are, what are some of the kinds of things that you research? Some of the kinds of things that I've researched them. Not so long ago, I did, well, the article came out in 2019. I did instrument selection on how uh, educational diagnosticians choose their instruments. It was a qualitative study. Um, I just did uh, a research study that that just came out this year on um, graduate students' perceptions of writing. And I modeled a writer's workshop in an online format with my uh, graduate students um, because it's been well-tested in public schools, but not so much in the online format. So I did writing workshop conferences with my students and then I I, uh, co-wrote an article with uh, a literacy professor that also did, uh, research study with her grad students on writer workshop and writing conferences so that was just recent so uh, yeah I just do kind of my, my main goal is to really try to make uh, to do research studies related to diagnosticians and uh, graduate students in diagnostician training programs
1: mm-hmm
0: and uh, we're getting um, towards the end now. And I just wanted to come up, look at the questions in the chat. And a lot of people are asking about PhD programs. Do your universities have PhD programs for diagnosticians?
3: We have an EDD program uh, that is uh, online, uh, and, but live once a month. You're required to come. I think we do a Friday night, Saturday uh, deal, and it's 54 hours. It's uh, leadership. It's not uh, SPED, but if you have a SPED master's you and you're a DIAG, you, you know SPED. But it's a pathway. Uh, it's 18 hours, or not 18 hours, 18 classes, 54 hours. If you're interested, let me know, and I'll, I'll send you to the right people. Uh, we've got, I think we're on our fourth cohort. Uh, we've just had it for a couple of years, and it's pretty good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Does Tarleton have something like that, Dr. Kevin?
1: Tarleton does have a um, something very similar to what uh, Ed said. We've had it for quite a while now. Um, it's a um, it's an EDD uh, curriculum and instruction uh, leadership program, um, well established program, but um, not a special ed uh, focus. I have served on several doctoral committees for uh, students who had a special ed background, um, who were getting a a a, a an ADD with that um with the special ed focus you know uh, writing their dissertation perhaps in special ed Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh dr Reuter, i know you you guys have a
4: program we just uh we do have we uh, school of edu it's a school-wide school of education school and it's focused on school improvement um so it's not special ed, but students can do a cognate in special ed, uh, and I think ours is sixty hours. It's online, but they do have to come to a boot camp during the summer. I think for a week. I'm not uh, a core professor in the in the doc program. They asked me to, but I declined. I just wanted to focus all of my attention on the diagnostician uh, program. So. Uh, I know it is 60 hours, I know it's a school improvement. If you're interested, I can hook you up with the right people at uh, UT Tyler. But um, yeah, I know they do can do a cognate in special ed because I've been asked to serve on those committees.
1: Mm-hmm. I do All think right. it's, uh, Nazi, I do think mm-hmm. it's important to to note that if your interest is in teaching in higher ed, you need to get your, um your doctorate in special education, not in um, not in leadership, uh, leadership mm-hmm. because I, I got uh, derailed on that when I started looking, when I started searching around for somebody to, to maybe replace me. I had a ton of former students who had gotten uh, doctorates, but not in special ed, and they couldn't replace me. Uh, because they didn't have the enough hours in special education that focus in special ed. So, if you're wanting to teach higher ed, you need to get a doctorate in special ed. And those are only available at, I think, UNT, uh, Texas Woman's, uh, Texas Tech. Uh, UT Tyler's is not in, in special ed, is it, Jesse? No, not.
4: it's school improvement. And right. I would okay. agree. We have had that problem too, Lisa. You have to have, if you're wanting to go higher ed, you definitely need that, uh, and you want to teach in special ed. You've got to have a special ed uh, right. background, or, or right,
1: doctor, the, the doctoral, yeah, the yeah.
4: doctoral hours in special ed.
3: Yep. So. Yeah, we've had we've had the same issue, and we actually have our new uh, professor is in the room right now. April Crutcher, she just started for us, and she's a doc student at T W U. But we had another position open that we had some really great people. But it just has to. It has to do with accreditation. is
1: exactly, and that's been it. the problem.
3: there was very great people with that would have hired for the other position we had, but no, it's accreditation. You have exactly, to have
1: it, have and it. that has been the problem replacing me at Tarleton. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the wrong the wrong uh, set of hours. So accreditation, exactly, Ed, is is the issue. So if you really do have an interest in higher ed. Um, I would, stru- in, in the Metroplex, you can't beat UNT or Texas Women's. They are both excellent schools. And uh, you've got three grads from, from those places right here on the screen, uh, Ed, uh, Jesse, and me. So mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you, you, you got good endorsements right there. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, um, I mean, most of the research that I try to present on Clubhouse, I try to get it from uh, professors that are in of, of special education, you know, because I, I feel like we you have like school psychology really influences us, and um, I don't know. There's a educational psychology. I don't know if that's considered special ed or not, but but then you have your actual special education department and the research that they do. So I try I do try to focus on the research um, that is done by those uh, those departments, the special education departments. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and Dr. Schultz, you did just hire someone that wasn't wasn't a doctor, is that correct, on your new position? So I, I really thought that was really interesting and applauded you and you for kind of looking outside the box and thinking that maybe for your DIAG program, you know, that someone that's working in the field uh, might be a good fit. So I do know y'all opened that up a little bit, so
3: that was great
2: to see. Uh, Amy well, we got has really a,
3: lucky with our people we got.
0: Amy, Amy has a question uh, for the group panel. Uh, maybe just one person could answer. What would be some good ways to identify if a program will prepare them for the job? Key, key question, what, what should some people ask? What are some questions people should ask? Maybe Dr. Schultz, you want to just add? go ahead and. Yeah,
3: I was actually answering her on the chat to that okay. right there. I always ask people. What do you want to do with it, and and help them find a pathway there? I would recommend uh, uh, brick and mortar schools as as well. Uh, not, even if they're totally online, as long as they're attached to a brick and mortar building, they'll uh, they'll be uh, more competitive in the field. Uh, and I always also tell them to, to what is your what is your niche, because special ed is, is a, a large net. But you can go, and, and Digs. We're, we're, we're such a good position because we we have to know behavior. We have to know transition. We have to know early childhood. We have to know assessment to find a niche because there is actually some programs you can look for with federal funding that will focus. Like, for instance, my program was focused on behavior disorders, uh, and, and it was federally funded. I only paid for 25% of my Ph.D. Uh, my other co- I've got other friends that have done transition. So that, that's the three things. Where do you want to be? uh, go to a brick and mortar and, and what is your niche? And if, because there's, you know, you start reading the research and, and there might be schools where that the leading expert is in your field is, is, or you're in, in your interest is there. So mm-hmm. that's it.
0: Yeah. All right. To close this out, um, you have just one takeaway, um, about, I, I you know, I'm really concerned about the, the role of the diagnostician and, how it uh, if it's changing fast enough to keep up and what do we need to do as diagnosticians um you know what, as our, to consider for our field and how we're uh how how, how our credibility our professional our pref- professional um just position in, in the field field of you know special education what what do we worry about for the future About the way, what do we have to do to keep up with things that are changing? um, And how is our, uh, I I don't know, I feel like the profession just needs a little bit more of a look (laughs) over.
3: Well, I think sometimes we we don't realize the expertise that we have. And I I don't like what people say. I'm just a diag or I I get, you know, we we have a master's degree. We are experts in teaching and learning. We are experts in 13 categories of disabilities. We have a set of skills that nobody else does. And we have to own that and not be afraid to say, I am an expert in this and uh, speak with some confidence when we are in making decisions uh, for kids. because we have non-DiACs sometimes that uh, try to, try to uh, oh, I don't know, make decisions that they really shouldn't be making. Of course, it's a team effort, but uh, our voice should be the loudest, in my opinion, when we are talking about eligibility for kids. So mm. That's it.
0: Right. I, that's the same kind of feeling. I feel like we don't give ourselves enough credit. We don't um, try to hire our position in you know this field and make ourselves more credible and um, regarded highly. Uh, so yeah, go ahead, Dr. Kaplan.
1: Well, I, I agree. I think that we've got to emphasize that that uh, that that uh, one factor that we have that other evaluators don't have, which is that connection between instruction and evaluation. You know, we've got that that unique quality. Um, we can we can link the classroom. To evaluation, and we've we've got to do we've got to make sure we do that, and make that the 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 value that we hold, and um, and emphasize that um, as much as possible, that link between the classroom and um and the the evaluation, mm-hmm. and hold yeah, ourselves I mean, that's, valuable that's for that's, that. That's
0: really important to me. To if I write a report, I want the teachers to be able to use it, not just yeah. be like, okay, qualify or not, thanks to throw it aside and let's go, you know. Well,
1: and what, what sets us apart from a school psychologist? Well, you know, that's the main thing. A school right. psychologist doesn't have, most school psychologists don't have classroom experience. Now, I'm sure if you do, but most of them don't. They're not certified right. teachers, and we are. And that's what makes us different and should make us right. special. Right, right.
0: Becky, did you have
1: something to add?
2: Yeah, I agree with both of those uh, those comments, but I also wanted to add that it's important too for us to um, let other people know outside the field who we are and what we do. I think sometimes we are overlooked in a lot of areas, especially when we look at legislation um, and also sometimes just district practices because they forget that they have diagnosticians or they don't understand or know what a diagnostician is or what a diagnostician does. You know, when you introduce yourself to a school board member and they say, oh, so you work in the cafeteria. Um, so, So it's important that people understand who we are, what our value is, what our expertise is, and what we have to add to kids and to their and overall lifelong journey in this education. And so it's it's really important that we just let everybody know who we are and uh, remind them pretty regularly <laughs> that we are here. And it's not just teachers and nurses. You know, a lot of times they'll make policies of, oh well this is going to be for our teachers and our nurses, but they forget about about us in the field as
0: I know, I don't know how many times I like go to fill out like a continuing ed thing or, and they'll say, what is your position? Are you an administrator or are you a teacher? And I'm like, okay, I'm a diagnostician, where's that lie, you know? And there's never this choice of diagnostician and it, it really frustrates me sometimes. Um, Dr. I, Reuter, you, yeah, go ahead, um, Becky. I was just
2: going to add, one time I was working in a district and they um, gave this this, extra stipend it was like a some money that for people who actually work with kids so they gave it to teachers and nurses but they didn't give it to diagnosticians so they they were like but you don't work with kids oh yes we Mm -hmm. do and this was a large district so (laughs) this was not you know a little bitty small district and it was a large metropolitan district where our board did not understand that we actually work with kids as well
0: right right go ahead dr reader
4: yeah i agree i think uh we have to be a better advocate for ourselves and for our positions and when we are in schools that we are a good representation of the professional of the profession um sometimes i i go into schools and i cringe a little bit about when i see different things going on so i just think we have to be a a better advocate for ourselves and we have to have, be a really good ambassador for the uh, profession
0: right right well we're gonna close it out and I just before I close it out I wanted to let you know that I have some really great speakers coming up um, on January 19th Lynn and Doug Fuchs I mean OGs of special education and we're talking about special education you know departments and special education field definitely. Um, so they are going to be talking about RTI. And um, I have, of course, that's, you know, the main thing they talk about. Um, and then I have also uh, Dr. Jim Iseldyke and Amanda Vander Hayden. Uh, and they are the authors of the book. They're on the 14th um, edition of this book, Assessment and Special Education and inclusive, special and inclusive education. Um, so they they will be joining on uh, February 2nd. It, I was going to have it earlier, but Dr. Isildyke, you know, he's an archer and he had something happen to his shoulder, so he had to take care of it. And so he can keep doing his archery. Um, but yeah, so they will be joining on um, the, the second. So please join in for that. Um, they're really looking forward to it. So um, I hope you guys would be too. All right. Looks like Dr. Schultz has jumped out. All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and close the room. Did anybody else have anything to add real quick or want to say anything real quick? Or
2: we got a lot of things in the chat. Oh no. Okay. Just thank you, Nazi, for all that you do. And we love Clubhouse and love having oh, all of the presenters that you have is amazing.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate people following and listening. All righty. Closing the room. Thanks so much for joining everybody. Bye-bye.